If you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to open to Genesis chapter 5. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 4 this morning, Genesis chapter 5. We have been in the book of Genesis now for about three months. We started at the beginning of February. And during that time, we have seen God's creation of everyone and everything. We have learned of the temptation that man experienced in the garden. We saw how Eve was tempted by the fruit and ate in Adam as well. And from that point forward, we have seen the corruption that followed. It is true that life is choices and choices have consequences. Genesis shows us that so very well. As sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, since it has entered the world since Genesis chapter 3, we have witnessed the rapid decay of humanity. From the, the sons of Adam and Eve, Cain murdering Abel, to the descendants of Cain involving another murderer named Lamech. But in the midst of all of this deterioration, we saw last week a glimmer of hope. You can see at the end of chapter 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also was a son born. He called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Abel was the hope, or so we thought. And when Abel was murderer, hope was lost. Eve saw the promised offspring as Abel. And yet as she bore another son, she named him Seth. The reason she named him Seth is that word, that name Seth, sounds like another word. And it's the word appointed. That God has appointed another son. Appointed another son from whom the promise of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 would come. The promised seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpents. As we come to chapter 5, we are met with a genealogy, as you just endured. <laughs> Good job, by the way. For those of you that stayed awake, that is. Most of us, when we come to a genealogy, we tend to, um, our eyes tend to glaze over, and we tend to start skimming, because let's be honest, some of those words... Uh, this, this one wasn't terrible, but there, there are genealogies that no one can pronounce those words, right? We, let, let's just all be honest with each other. We're all guessing up here. We're just guessing. And if you say it with confidence, then no one questions you, all right? So uh, I'm, I'm learning how to do that. But nevertheless, we go through something like this, and it's, it's, it doesn't seem relevant. It, it seems like just a list of names. And for some, we, we do. We, we skip past uh, lists like this. But this section is actually important. It, it included, it, it's included here for a reason. 
Moses' writing didn't just take a break from the narrative and just listed a bunch of names for kicks. Like he's doing something. So it's worth our time, yes, to preach a genealogy in order that we might understand what Moses is trying to do and to learn something from what is contained here. In verse 1, the first sentence says this, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Now, this is the second time we see that phrase, the generations of. The first time we saw it was in chapter 2, verse 4. In total, we're going to see it 10 times in the book of Genesis. And whenever we see it, it's marking a new section. It's telling us something. That section had concluded. We're starting something new. This particular sentence and this phrase is a little bit different than the others. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. We won't see that again in the other phrases. Uh, this book or this written account or this written source, it, it could have quite literally been a written source that, that Moses was looking at. It could have been an account that someone kept of these people's lives and Moses is recounting that. Or it could have been an account that Moses is writing under the inspiration of God. In any case, what we find in chapter 5 is a record of the genealogy, of the generations, or of the descendants of Adam. Now, chapter 5 comes after chapter 4. Glad we settled that. Uh, but in chapter 4, we actually read another genealogy. And Pastor Chris preached that last week. It's the genealogy of Cain, or the Cainites. And so chapter 5's genealogy, which is, starts with Adam, but is really about Seth, is in contrast to the genealogy about Cain. What we really have is, is one genealogy about the ungodly line, and one genealogy about the godly line. One genealogy about how the seed would not come, through whom the seed would not come, that's Cain, and through whom the offspring would come, that is, of course, Seth. So from Seth all the way down to Noah, we see this account. Moses was tracing the line of the promised seed from chapter 3, verse 15. We, we can't jump into chapter 5 and expect to understand what Moses is doing. Moses is writing to us a book, Genesis, the book of the beginnings. And he, he is referencing and he's appealing to what he's already written in chapter 3. So though we have these great stories in Genesis, and some of us remember those stories very well, we, we can't forget what Moses is doing. There is a promise to humanity that the head of the serpent would be crushed, that a deliverer was coming. And how is that going to happen? How is that possibly going to happen? We have Cain and Abel, and clearly, clearly Cain's not a good option. And so we think Abel, and yet now Abel is dead. How can that ever happen? Therefore, we get Seth. As we look through this genealogy, we'll find that we're talking about 10 or 11 generations. This is a bridge. Chapter 5 is a bridge, from, primarily from Seth to Noah. How do we get to Noah, right? That's the next big story in Genesis. We all know it's coming, but how do we get there? Moses doesn't run right to, to Noah. He actually gives to us a bridge. He shows us how, how humanity goes from Adam all the way to 
to Noah. It serves as a bridge from Adam to Noah. It's a compressed account, really. It's it's a pretty uh, abbreviated list. In fact, the word fathered, which you see multiple times here, can also mean fathered and ancestor of, which means that this list may not be all of the descendants from Seth to Noah, but it is an abbreviated or a compressed list that gets us from one to the other. In chapter 11, we'll see a similar list. In in Ruth chapter 4, we can see a similar list, an abbreviated account. It's almost as if, one pastor says, it's almost as if uh, Moses is pushing the fast forward button on the generations, and he's moving us to Noah. But before we get to Noah, he's showing us the line which that took. He's moving along the storyline, not neglecting the generations before Noah. Here in chapter 5, Moses, though, doesn't start with Seth. He actually backs up and starts with Adam. Look at verse 1. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So verses 1 and 2 are a, a retrospective. He's looking back all the way to the beginning. And he's reminding the reader again of God's work of creating Adam and Eve, that God did that. And how did he do that? He did it in the light, his likeness. He made him in the likeness of God. That reminds us of chapter one, verses 26 and 27, where verse 26 says, and God said, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's God speaking. Then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Here we see, as in chapter one, again, that God created them. And how did he do that? He did it male and female. Male and female. Some people say the Bible's not relevant. We need to make the Bible more relevant. No, no, no. The Bible is perfectly relevant. He made them male and female. It's a binary. It's a binary. There are two, male and female. That's how God made it. And it was good. And it is good for you. And if you're male today, that's a good thing. And if you're female today, that's a good thing. God made you, and you're beautiful the way you are. God made them male and female in his image. One author says, to reflect God's goodness and character and represent God's rule in the world. That's what it means to be made in his image. Being made in God's image enabled men and women to know God. Additionally, here we see that God blessed them. We remember back to chapter 1, verse 28, when he blessed them. And then after he blessed them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. And they did. And this genealogy is proof that they did. Right? In a a corrupt world, they didn't stop having babies. Right? They they didn't look at humanity and say, humanity's too bad. I'm not going to bring kids into this world. That's not what they did. You could say they actually did the very opposites. That's pretty countercultural these days. Like, don't we hear, like, don't, don't bring kids into this, this messed up world. That's not the approach that's taken here in Genesis. They actually have babies. It's actually obey God's command. Imagine that. 
Be fruitful and multiply. And that's what they did. Verse 3, Adam had lived 130 years and fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Sometimes we wonder, where, where did Cain get his wife? Well, clearly there were other sons and daughters that were born to Adam and Eve. Verse 5, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. This account does not include, as we can see, Cain or Abel. That's not the purpose of what Moses is doing. He's not telling us every descendant that came from Adam or on, on and on. He's picking the particular line. And the particular line that he's emphasizing is the line of Seth. Again, tracing the seed of the woman. Seth is the line from whom the promised offspring would come. Ultimately, we know is Jesus. Seth is said to have been born here in the likeness of Adam, after his likeness. Now, what we read about Adam was that Adam was born in the likeness of God. And now here, after the fall, what do we see? We see that Seth was born in the likeness of Adam. Now, that doesn't mean that he was not born in the likeness of God. It is to say that there is a change. Something is different now. And what the something is, is sin had corrupted humanity. So now, how has, how has Seth been born? He's been born with a sin nature. He is not perfectly in the image of God any longer. He could not be. After the fall, Seth now is said to be born in Adam's image, marred by sin. Everyone, everyone born after Adam, save for Jesus, of course, was born in a fallen condition with a sin nature. God's image, yet clearly not perfect. The reality of sin's effect is communicated over and over again in this passage with a three-word refrain that's repeated seven more times after this in verse 5. And you see it at the end of verse 5. And he died. Adam died. The next generation was Seth. Look at verses 6 through 8. And when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. And he died. Now, when, when Abel died, we thought hope was lost. Then, then Seth was born. And now Seth has died too. Seth was the hope, and yet he died. Hmm. This genealogy is not just a record of, of these generations. It, it, it's in some ways an obituary, isn't it? It's in some ways a death record as we see this repetition of this, these three words, and he died. It's a sober, a sobering reality for you and for me. One day someone could, could list your family line in my family line at the end of our names will come a, a, a death date, and they died. This repeated phrase helps us remember that as sin came into the world, Romans 5, 12 says, through one man, death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. Over and over again, we are reminded of the reality of death. 
no one gets out of here alive. Unless Christ comes in, in your lifetime or mine, we're not getting out of here alive either. The expectation in the Bible is that it is appointed for a man to die once and then judgment. The Stoics had a, had a Latin phrase that goes, memento more, memento more. And that means remember you will die. Remember you will die. Genesis chapter five is saying to us, Remember, you will die. Here's a list of all these names. Some you recognize, some you don't. Some lived longer than others. Some lived shorter. What happened? They died. Jonathan Edwards some, penned some 70 resolutions at the age of 18, by the way. I'm not sure what you were writing at the age of 18, but I don't, I don't think it was this. I certainly, I certainly wasn't writing this at the age of 18. Here, here's his ninth resolution. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death. Think about it. Why? That's, that sounds morbid. Some of us want to escape the idea of death. We want to try to ignore that reality. No, because thinking about death affects the way I live now. Being aware of my own mortality helps me live now. Scholars in the Middle Ages were said to have studied with a human skull on their desk as a reminder of their own mortality. Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming. That's death. When no one can work. Here's the reality. Life is short and death is certain. We don't waste our days. And we read through here and we see he died, he died, he died. Reminds us that we will die. And how are we living our life? Well, Moses continues on with the genealogy in verse 9. And when Enosh lived 90 years, and the name Enosh here means man, uh, man is of weakness or man is weak or frail, frail. When he lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he had fathered Canaan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years. What? And he died. The fourth generation comes to Canaan. Canaan. When Canaan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahaliel. Canaan lived after he fathered Mahaliel. 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Canaan were, Canaan were 910 years and he died. Canaan had a son named Mahaliel, which means praise of God or praise to God. This might in indicate that, that Canaan was, was a worshiper of God, that, that he was someone who was, who was following God, Possibly. When we go on to the fifth generation, when Mahaliel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahaliel lived, after he fathered Jared, 830 years and had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years and he died. The sixth generation, when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived, after he fathered Enoch, 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. 
We're seeing the, 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 the repetition here. But at this point, as we come to verses 21 through 24, we meet another generation. It's the seventh generation. In Moses' templates, and you can see it in your Bible, he lived, he fathered, and he died. Lived, fathered, died. That's, that's the progress. That's the trajectory. That's, that's the summarization or the summation of these men's lives. They lived, they fathered, they died. That's broken here. It's interrupted here in this passage. Look with me in the seventh generation, Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Period. The three-word refrain is not present there. There's a period. The writer goes on. Moses goes on in verse 24. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Here in the midst of this death record, uh, midst of, of the darkness of death, we get this, this bright hope. We get this, this light called Enoch. Of the 10 generations listed, there are three men who are given special attention. We already read about Adam. We're reading about Enoch now. And then we'll see more about Noah in just a few moments. Enoch is notable for more than one reason. In chapter 4, there's another genealogy that we've talked about of the Cainites. The seventh in the generation of the Cainites was a man named Lamech. One writer says, Lamech worshipped his sword, while Enoch, who is the seventh generation, walked with God. There's an intention here. There's an intention to show the distinction, the contrast between these two men. Verse 21 tells us that, that Enoch began walking with God after he fathered Methuselah. So at the tender age of 65, Enoch fathered Methuselah. Some of you are 65. How would you like to have a child right now? We're not told how old his wife was when she had the book, but nevertheless, he was 65, right? It was at 65 when he had Methuselah that the scripture says he began to walk with God. Now, why did it begin again at 65? Was it because of a new baby? Was it because of this son? Was it because of the weight of fatherhood? Or was it something altogether different? We don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us. Other than to say that it was after that that he walked with God and that he did walk with God for 300 years. Something changed in Enoch's life. Something changed in Enoch's life. He turned. He turned to God. At one point, clearly he was not walking with God. And then he was walking with God. You know, in your life and in my life, there comes a point in time where we must make that decision, that we must come to, to the reality of knowing who God is and who we are. We must repent. That means to turn and follow God. It means to recognize that we're a sinner and God is holy and he is the only one worthy of our worship, not the world, not stuff, not people, not opinion, 
No, God and God alone. And here we see Enoch makes the turn. He turns from the world into God. One commentator says that Enoch found life with God amid the curse of death. At a point in time, he began to walk with God. It was a life change that lasted a lifetime, 300 years. There's only one other man in the scriptures that it is said they walked with God. It's Noah. Only two men that are given that description. To walk with God means to have fellowship with him, to have God at your side, to please God, to obey God, to go in the same direction as God. To walk with God is, is a way of life. It's, it's not a mere quiet time each day. It's not a, an hour of worship on a Sunday. No, it's a, a union, a close personal communion with God, an intimate relationship. It's knowing God. It's believing God. It's obeying God. And this is what Enoch was doing. What joy and peace Enoch must have experienced walking with God. Theologian A.W. Pink says, Enoch's life must have been supremely happy. How could he be miserable with such a companion? Great question. We learn more about Enoch in the New Testament. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, page 1007. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. How did Enoch walk and please God? By faith. That's how it works. Look at the very next verse. Verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You want to please God? It's by faith. And how do we get faith? We come to God through Christ. God gives us the faith to believe. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he's the rewarder. That he rewards those who seek him. Enoch's God-pleasing faith was believing that God exists and that he rewards but not only did Enoch believe that he rewards, Enoch believed that God judged. We see another reference to Enoch in the book of Jude, that one little chapter before the book of Revelation. In verse 14 and 15, it says this, and it was said also of these, about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and to all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch not only believed that God rewarded, he believed that God judged as well. And this is what faithfully following God looks like. To believe that God exists, yes, to believe that he will one day reward, yes. And to recognize that one day he will judge. We don't like to talk about judgments. 
but it's coming. When we get to the story of Noah, Noah talked about judgment and nobody liked it. Of course no one likes it. I don't like, you don't like it. No one likes to talk about judgments. Yet it's from that very judgment that God in grace has sent his son to save us. The trajectory of humanity here was in steady decline. Enoch is a bright light in the midst of a lot of darkness. Humanity is moving downward quickly. And in chapter six, we'll see just that. That there was wickedness of the man of men was great on the earth. And yet Enoch walked with God. He witnessed to his generation of God and of judgment. And here's the reality. As Enoch lived in a wicked generation, you and I live in a wicked generation too. It's not just America, by the way. In the 1950s, it was a wicked generation. In the 1920s, it was a wicked generation. In the 2020s, it's a wicked generation. It wasn't like it wasn't wicked 50 years ago, by the way. It's always been wicked. The heart of man has continually been, been separating itself from God. We see it even in the book of Genesis. As they were cast out east of Eden, as Cain now is east of Eden, the, the separation continues on and on. The question for us is, in this wicked culture, are we walking with God? Do we believe God? Do we know God? To know God, that that is life. Do, Do you know God? Do you hear God's word? Do you obey God's word? Do you speak God's word? May God help us to do that. Well, for 300 years, Enoch walked with God until verse 24 says, and he was not, for God took him. Pastor Stephen Lawson says it was as if Enoch was walking with God so closely that at one point God says to Enoch, we're actually closer to my house than yours. Come home. Isn't that beautiful? What would that be like to walk with God like that? What would that be like to know God, to trust him in that way? God reached down and took him, or he laid hold of him. It's a translation, isn't it? From one world into the next. There's another story in 2 Kings of another man who was taken up. His was a little more dramatic, flaming chariot of fire (laughs) in a whirlwind. His name was Elijah. We don't know how this happened with Enoch. Maybe it was similar. We don't know. All we know that at one moment he was In the next moment, he was not. It's an amazing thing to consider. Only two men who escaped death. Yet Enoch's translation and Elijah's, their translation to heaven is actually a foreshadow. You know that? It's a foreshadow for every Christian who will be alive at the coming of Jesus. When Jesus takes us, takes us to be with him, lays hold of us to bring us home. First Thessalonians chapter five says, we'll be caught up to the clouds to meet him in the air and there we'll be with the Lord always. Forever be with the Lord. Enoch stands as an encouragement to believers for those who walk with God, that there is life with God beyond death, beyond this world. Well, quickly, the genealogy continues in verse 25 where we meet Methuselah. And we'll move this along. Methuselah is the oldest guy 
He's the oldest. He's, he gets the record. I'm not sure if I'm not sure who wants that record, but he's the oldest guy. Oldest guy in the Bible that they were told of. He lived 969 years and he died. And some may wonder, man, that, that's, 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 a cra- that's a crazy amount of time. Like 900 years? Like, are you serious about that? Like America's not that old. Like what are we doing here? Like is this for real? that this guy lived this long, that all of them, by, by average, it was like 900 years was the average lifespan at this point. And so we, we might wonder, some people wonder, is that metaphoric? Is he being hyperbolic? Well, th- there's no reason actually to believe that, that Moses is doing anything other than telling us how many years these people lived. One of the explanations is that it's, the, it's pre-flood. And at that time, cosmologically, that the earth was different. That f- physiologically, we were different, and that, that lifespans could, could last longer due to those factors. Nevertheless, the genealogy is tracing that the seed is preserved and that humanity is fragile, that we die. And as we're tracing that seed, we're seeing the fragility of humanity, we're seeing death, and we're seeing hope along the way, and there's one more to see in Noah. Verse 29, Lamech, a different Lamech than chapter 4, lived 182 years, and he fathered a son who has called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after, his, after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And after Noah was 500 years, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Lamech has a son and he names him Noah. And he says, this one shall bring us relief. This one will bring us comfort. Comfort from what? Comfort from the curse. He's looking back to chapter three too. And he's saying, the earth is cursed. We need a deliverer. We need hope. We need the seed of the woman from verse 15. And Lamech says, Noah's gonna be that. Noah's gonna be the deliverer, the savior, the hope of humanity. And as Noah's story unfolds, in the next few weeks we'll see that Noah does find grace in the eyes of God. And Noah is used to save humanity to preserve human life in order to repopulate the earth, in order to perceive, in order to preserve the seed of the woman. We'll talk more about Noah in a few weeks, but what we'll also find out about Noah is he is not the savior. He is not the deliverer. Noah did not, did not bring relief from our work, from our painful toil of our hands. He didn't do that. Noah could not do that. He could not deliver humanity. He could not provide for the desperate need that we have. He is not the promised seed. Instead, he is part of the line, which points to the truer and better deliverer, the only hope that we have in life and in death. And whereas Noah, he built an ark for the salvation, the physical salvation of people, We come to the New Testament and find out that it's not about a physical ark that we need to get on. It's about Jesus, who is salvation. The ark of Noah symbolizes, is an analogy for 
the salvation that God provides through his son. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only hope in life and death. In Jesus, death was defeated. In Jesus, the way to God is open. In Jesus, we can know and walk with God. In Jesus, we can become children of God. From the beginning, the book of beginnings, God's word is pointing us to the coming Savior, the one through whom there is life for all if they would but repent and believe, for all who would walk with him in this life right into the next. As we see Jesus for who he is, we turn to him. We surrender to him, walking in obedience in faith. Here's the reality, friends. Life is short and death is certain. You're not guaranteed a minute more. You're not, and neither am I. And so we ask ourselves, how are we using our days? How are we using our time? What are we doing? You look at your life and say, what are you doing? You have a defined amount of time. What are the things we're focused on? Make the main thing the main thing in your life. Don't let the things of this world cloud your vision for the mission of God. As we walk with God, we fulfill his mission. And the question for you this morning is, are you walking with God? And if you're not walking with God today, the invitation is to come to him today. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's an invitation into his way of life, into living with Jesus, into following Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. The good news that Jesus is the savior of the world. May God help us to believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and sending your son to die for us. Thank you for the stories of, of these men who lived in a, in a difficult time, for sure, and yet, by faith, followed you. And God, I pray that we would, by grace, through faith, follow you today. That maybe our story could sound similar to Enoch, that at a point in time, we turned and began to follow you. A life change that lasts for a lifetime. Pray that you would help us. Help us to walk with you today. Help us to walk with you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our God, you reign.